Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I've got my co-host, Curtis, here with me today. For the latest edition of our Spring Practice Primer Series, it's been a week or so since we've gotten to one of these episodes, but we're back. And this particular episode of the Spring Practice Primer Series is all about the offense. Initially, yeah, this was going to be a four-part series. That was our plan. We had big plans for this, guys. Two episodes for defense, two for offense. Break it up a little bit for you guys. Dive deep into these position battles, but... With the firing of Tom Crean last week, we decided to fit a basketball episode in to cover that, and that kind of put us a little off schedule, but we're back on football today, and we're going to try, man. We're going to try to fit the entire offense into one episode, and look, I know there's still a lot of interest in the basketball coaching search. Trust me, I'm following it very closely, but there's really just no news to report and discuss as of right now on the show. I mean, honestly... I'm sure like, as we're recording this episode, something's going to break. Some news is going to break. And it's like, oh yeah, we just recorded this entire episode and like this happened in the background and we didn't cover it on the show. That's almost inevitable. Of course, it's going to happen. But as of right now, sitting here at 5.07 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, there's really been nothing hard coming out this weekend other than I guess the Scott Drew rumors, but that's not hard news. Those are rumors. It's the opposite of hard news but there's just nothing really hard out there right now but trust me we are following it very closely I am very anxiously awaiting any news on the basketball front this coaching search front and when more hard news does start to trickle out we will 100% cover it on this show I've told you guys many times the past couple of weeks I am a huge college basketball fan college football is unquestionably number one for me but I love college basketball I watch college basketball every Saturday like I do college football. I just post up on my couch and I watch college basketball after I run the morning for about 10 hours. I've been a Georgia basketball season ticket holder. I love Georgia basketball. I support Georgia basketball. I've done it for a long time and we haven't been good. And I've so desperately, desperately wanted us to be good. So I'm very excited about the potential for this hire. I'm very anxious about it. I want news just like you guys do. But as of right now, again, there's just not news out there. But when there is news, we will definitely come on here and uh, we'll cover it. We'll have you guys covered. 
But the plan for today's show is to get you guys ready for spring football practice, which opens Tuesday. Don't look now, guys. Tuesday, as in like a day and a half from now. And we're going to do that by previewing the battles at every position on the offensive side of the ball. And Curtis, let's go ahead and dive into this, man. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to try to cover it all. We'll see if we can make it happen. But I think we got to start at quarterback, right? We know we got Stetson coming back. I know you aren't like necessarily super thrilled with that, but I mean, I fully assume that he's going to leave spring practice as our starting quarterback. Is that safe to assume? Um, yeah, I, I think it's safe to assume. I doubt even if Van, like we we talked about this before, even if Van Griff or say Stockton went in there had an amazing spring, I'd be shocked if we went if we left the spring with anyone other than Stetson being the quarterback. I would be floored. Like I, I don't even think that's in the realm of possibility right now. And I'm not saying that like Stetson is going to have no competition for this job and it's his and Kirby's giving it to him and there's no way anyone's going to take it from him. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if it is taken from him, I think it's what you're alluding to, Curtis, it's going to happen in fall camp, right? Yeah. Like No one's going to take the job right now in spring. What players can do, what guys like Brock Vandegriff and Carson Beck and even Gunnar Stockton can do is put themselves in better position come fall to be able to make that move and seize the job. I still think it's probably unlikely. I think Stetson's probably going to have to falter somewhere or somebody's just going to have to prove that they're just that much better than Stetson. I think that's going to be tough to do, but it's not impossible. But I, I don't expect it to happen this spring whatsoever. So that's not really an interesting conversation. The quarterback one job, as far as I'm concerned, through spring is safe. It's Stetson's, and that's what's going to be come G-Day and as we exit spring practice. What I think, Curtis, is the far more interesting battle, again, at least this spring when it comes to quarterbacks, is the number two quarterback's job, that backup quarterback. We know it was Carson Beck last year until it wasn't. It was Carson Beck. Even Kirby said it out loud, which he never really does. But then when it came time to put a backup in, he got leapfrogged by Stetson, which, great, worked out. It was awesome. It ended up working out fantastic. Great, great decision. But he's back. We, we all thought, Curtis, like, honestly, Curtis, if I would have asked you – Let's say um, late December. What? Give me a percentage of the odds of Carson Beck being back on the Georgia roster during spring practice. What would you have put it at? Probably, I put have put it at ten percent. I might have put like at five percent. Yeah, I mean five, ten percent. Like I, I honestly, at this point, did not expect Carson to be back. And actually, there was some some chatter around town here in Athens. People that I know were like saying, "Hey, yeah, he's probably gone," but he's not. I mean, at least as of now, we'll see what kind of move he makes this spring. I don't know, but we know that Brock Vandegrift, he was a freshman last year. He's back, made strides late in the season. At least that was the word I was getting come out of practice as the season progressed. And then Gunnar Stockton is one of the 18 early enrollees that are already here on campus going through the winter workouts and will be participating in spring practice. So, Curtis, that's that's who we've got here. Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton. In your mind, who is the front runner of those three to be quarterback two, at least exiting spring? Um, if I had to guess, I mean, I would still go with Vandegrift over Beck, um, in my opinion. But I think it could be if I had to guess between one of those two. I just don't see Stockton even kind of with Stetson, even though he may have a great spring. I just don't see them ready to moving him, thinking like, hey, you know, trying to keep him, his head not getting too big type thing. Yeah, I mean, Gunnar Stockton's going to be in the same position that Brock Vandergriff was in last year. His head's going to be spinning. Yes, he's been going through fall camp. Yes, he's been going through meetings. But it's a totally different universe going out there, learning our language, learning our plays, just how we practice, too. I mean, even something like that in spring practice 
it's just different. You know, finding your voice. It's hard to be a leader when you've got this guy's a, a national championship winning quarterback coming back and you're in his room and you're the new guy in that room. It's tough. So I don't really expect Stockton to be that guy leaving spring. That does not mean that he can't be that guy when we enter the actual season against Oregon. But during spring, it's just about learning from him. It's about getting his feet wet and just kind of getting used to how we do things, how we operate practice, all that kind of stuff. That's what I expect from Gunnar Stockton, just like it's what I expect from, from, from Brock Vandegrift this time last year. So I do think it's between Beck and Brock Vandegrift. So you're – I, I want to make sure I heard that right. So you're you're going to give the edge to Vandegrift right now going into spring? I think so. I mean, the thing with Beck is – I don't know. It, it, it very well probably will be him, but I just don't know. The one thing – you didn't hear much about him other than he – he seemed disinterested almost is what it's, you know, kind of once Stetson took the job and there's JT at number two. And while you had someone like Vandegrift who was hungry, still thinking like, well, I'm not thinking right now. I'm thinking next year, the year after. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I think Beck's still hungry too. Um, I think probably it was tough for him to handle, tough to swallow. Like you work all, you work all spring, all fall camp to be the number two quarterback. And then when it's time for the quarterback to take the snaps, when your starter gets hurt, it's not you all of a sudden. I think that was a tough pill to swallow. And, and I imagine that was a difficult time for him. But I, I think he's probably still hungry. I think it says a lot about him coming back, wanting to be here and wanting to give it another run. Um, it, honestly, Curtis, it's hard to answer this question, right? Because we haven't seen really either of these guys in, in any kind of meaningful action. I mean, we saw a little bit of Beck at times in, in garbage time, like a, a very like extremely small sample size of Brock, but not really throwing passes, really doing anything. So it's pure speculation. And really what we're basing this on is what these guys did in high school because that's all that we have. We haven't seen it. And, like, I guess some word we get come out of practice, the rumors, those kind of things, people you talk to. But it's nothing that we've seen with our own two eyes. And that makes it a really difficult thing to project because we just don't know, right? We just don't know. I, I was high on both those guys, Beck and Vandegrift, coming out of high school. They're different kind of quarterbacks. Brock, obviously, is more mobile. Um, he's, a, he's a bigger, stronger kind of guy. Beck's, a, Beck's maybe a little taller, but just not the, the mobile threat. And we know, Curtis, we know – based off of last year, right, that Kirby Smart and especially Todd Munkin really value and put a premium on mobility from the quarterback position. That was one of – I mean, that was something Kirby Flowers stated as one of the factors that kept Stetson Bennett as our number one quarterback even when JT returned healthy. I mean, Kirby was very open using mobility as one of the factors that was convincing to keep Stetson as the quarterback. So to me, Curtis, really what might give Vandergriff the edge here is the mobility. Now, Beck's been here a year longer. You think, and, and honestly, last year, he just had the knowledge and the experience edge on Vanderbilt because he had been here for a full year. But now, I mean, he's still, he's still been here a year longer, but Vanderbilt, I think, has been able to close that gap some as last season wore on. He got more and more experience, at least in terms of how we run practice, run the scout team last year, which I was told he was doing a very good job. He was very competitive out there, and it was, it was very mature in how he was running things. And we know he's a really talented guy, plus he brings that mobility. So, Curse, I guess my question for you here, I think it's a big deal, but how big of a deal do you think Vanderbilt's mobility is in this, in this battle? I think it's a huge thing. Um, I mean, and it's, it's not like either or with him, let's be honest. He has all the tools, and I think that's maybe the separating factor. Yeah, I mean, he and uh, I'm sure you saw on social media, there's like this clip out there of him like throwing one pass, right? And he's got some velocity on, and you can see all the replies and, and everything. It's like, oh, my God, Stetson can't do that. I'm like, come on, guys. It's it's one ball in shorts and T-shirts. Like, come on. But, but you're right. He can throw the football. We know that. We've seen that. He has mobility. I think what I would say is Vandergriff is more of a total physical package 
than what Carson Beck is. What we have to see from Brock Vandegrift is the mental part. I'm not saying that Brock Vandegrift can't pick things up. He's just like, again, the thing that Beck had on him last year was he had that edge and experience and being in the offense, being in the meeting rooms, all that kind of stuff. Has Vandegrift closed the gap there? If the answer is yes, I think there's a really good chance you can see Brock Vandegrift leaving the spring as number two. And Curtis, this is my last question on Corvax before we move on. If that indeed is the case, if Brock Vandegrift is like the clear number two, and I don't know if he will be, but if he is coming out of spring practice, is Carson Beck on our roster still when we get to spring camp or when we get to fall camp? If that's the case, no. Yeah. And I, I and honestly, what I think is going to happen, Curtis, I don't think they'll have like a clear delineation there intentionally because they don't want Carson Beck to transfer. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think they'll, they'll leave it like purposely vague. It'll be like 2A and 2B kind of thing and they'll battle out again in the spring or in the fall. So, yeah, I don't think that'll happen, but. You know, you see usually at the end of the year, you see a mass exodus of players. That's when they, the transfer portal fills up a lot of guys. And then after spring practice, some guys come back, you know, one let's get one more run. Let's see if I can make a run to get a starting job or put myself in good position. And if it doesn't work out, then you have a whole nother crew of guys that enter the transfer portal. And I, I still would say there's a chance that's Carson Beck. I honestly, I hope not. I mean, I think we're better to have him on the team. I want to be, him to be here in, in fall camp competing for that number two job. Heck, even competing for the number one job. I want him to be here for that, but I don't know. We'll that we'll certainly watch that. That that remains to be seen. But all right, Curtis, let's move on to the guys that Stetson and company will be throwing the ball to, which obviously would be the wide receivers. We'll get to the tight ends in a second here, but let's start with the wide receivers. I think I know the answer to this question. I think I know who you're going to say, but I'm going to give you the chance to say it anyway. I don't don't want to put words in your mouth. Who are you putting money on, Curtis? If you had to put money on one of our receivers to emerge as like that unquestionable alpha number one wide receiver, what George Pickens used to be, I guess, before the injury. Who are you putting money on? Who's going to be that guy over the course of the spring? Ooh, um, I think I'll probably go with Kiaris. Um, just Ooh, okay. Or over I mean, A.D. Mitchell. I do, and I think the thing is that Kiaris, until George came back last year, the year before, was that guy, and he was really hampered by the injuries at the start of last year. They opened the door for A.D. Mitchell and things like that, but he's going to be the guy, the older guy, the one they all look to. I think I could see him being that alpha, at least in the spring. Interesting. You threw me for a loop there, man. I was assuming you were going to go with A.D. Mitchell, because I think that's my answer, but let's dig in on Kiaris a little bit. I I, I like this, man. I I like you going a little bit of a different direction than I thought. So you're right. I will give you this. Kiaris Jackson was, let's not forget, 2020, he led the team, I think, by one yard, like one reception. But he did lead the team in receptions and receiving yards in 2020. Then, obviously, he gets nicked up and misses, I mean, the first half of the season when he comes back. I mean, he's playing and pushing through. But you could tell he clearly was not like Kiaris Jackson, the guy that we saw in 2020 when he was healthy. So you really believe that Kiaris Jackson, 100% healthy, is going to be more of a threat for us than A.D. Mitchell? Um, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, he has all the tools. I think Mitchell, as good as, you know, some of those plays he made, especially that catch in the National Championship, he still, you know, has some problems with drops, and I think he needs to work yeah, on his strength drops, in yeah. general, too. I, he's still not a finished product either. I think that's fair. Um, He's certainly not a finished product. I guess what I would say is I think A.D. Mitchell's ceiling is a good bit higher than Kiaris's. Not to say Kiaris isn't a really good player. He is. But I think AD has a different level of a ceiling. But I'll give you this. I think Kiaris is probably closer to his ceiling than AD is to his. Is that fair? I think that is fair. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I, I can see that. I, I'm going to stick with AD Mitchell because I think we started to see him turn it on last year. And I think with a 
full offseason to put together an offense where we have all these weapons coming back. I do think you'll see a little bit of a different offense than what you saw last year. I think it's possible. And look, our defense, again, we'll talk about this plenty of times throughout the rest of the offseason. We've already said it. I'll say it again. Our defense is not going to be the 2021 defense. Our defense is still going to be really good, guys. Curry Smart, still our coach. Will Muschamp, still here. Glenn Schumann, still here. Trey Scott, still here. We're okay. We're going to be fine. But I think it's also fair to say that we're not going to be as dominant defensively as as we were last year. So maybe we feel the need to open it up more offensively. Because last year, let's be real, we were playing complimentary football to our defense last year. And it worked out well. It worked out to a national championship. I can't complain about that. But this year might be a little bit of a different story. We know in the past that Todd Munkin has favored being able to throw the football to win. I mean, heck, we came out last year with JT throwing the ball 30-plus times a game, and he gets hurt, and then we change our offense. So I'm interested to see how this works, like with A.D. Mitchell getting more opportunities potentially this year. Can he explode onto the scene? Like, we've seen him make plays. You mentioned the catch national title game, an unbelievable catch. We've seen the guy make plays. The Tennessee game right before the half, he really started to make some plays. But can he take that next step? He hasn't done it yet. I think he can and will take that step. You know, last year this time, you know, really throughout the spring practice, we heard we started to hear buzz about AD Mitchell. Like, who this three-star guy? What? This guy's mm, – I'm interested. Let me see what he does on G-Day. He balled out during G-Day, and then when he had chances during the season, he really flashed and showed that potential. I think this spring what you're going to hear is not the buzz. I think you're going to hear that AD Mitchell is becoming that guy. That's my projection. We'll see. Um, but Kyrus, I mean, I think you're right. I think Kyrus being healthy is also going to be really big for us, and he's going to be be a big-time player for us all throughout the 2022 season. But I, I want to get to the slot position, Curtis. This is where I had Kyrus slotted. All right, do you, well, let me ask you this. Do you think Kyrus is a slot guy? Are you still putting him in the slot? I think with Mitchell and potentially the emergence of um, oh uh, Rick Gilbert, then yes. Okay. All right, so slot, yeah, I, I also, I'm curious to play, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say exclusively in the slot, but primarily in the slot during his career here in Athens. But this slot position is really interesting, Curtis. You got Kyrus Jackson, you got Ladd McConkie, who, by the way, guys, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, among our returning receivers that are actually receivers and not tight ends, not named Brock Bowers, Ladd McConkie is our leading returning receiver in terms of yards and receptions from last year's team. Not by much, two more receptions than AD and about 21 more yards than AD. But he is our leading returning receiver. So he plays the slot as well. Did it very well for us. Big-time playmaker at times for us. And you also have Arian Smith, who cannot stay on the field. But when the dude is healthy, he makes plays. I think he's had like – he might have had like 15 snaps total in his career here through two years. But the dude flat out makes plays when he's out there. So you look at Kiaris, you look at Ladd McConkie, and you look at Arian Smith, Curtis, in the slot. I think those are three guys that could start for many, many teams out there across the country. How does that position play out over the course of spring? Is I mean, you think it's Kiaris. I, I mean, I'm guessing, right? You think he's going to be the alpha receiver, but can the other guys make a move? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. that I don't think anyone's truly settled. Yeah, I, I mean, there's certainly – and that, that's part of the fun of spring practice. I mean, nothing's going to be decided during spring, but you can start to see guys make moves that can carry over into fall camp. But Lad McConkey, I mean, he's not a guy that has to make a move. This is a guy that made plays for us. Again, he led us in receiving among returning receivers because Jermaine Burton's gone. But uh, among the guys that are actually coming back this year, he was our leader in receiver in receptions and receiving yards. I think Lad is going to play and play a lot. And Arian Smith, Curtis, I mean, if the guy can stay healthy, big if. That's a big if at this point with him. But if he can, how do you not play him? 
I mean, the guy's just dynamics. So I This is a really interesting situation for me. Curtis, one thing I want to ask you here too. So again, Kieris is, been a, he has been a slot guy most of his career. With Ladd and Arian, like guys, that, I mean, yeah, they could play outside. They had to, but could Kieris potentially move to the Z receiver and play outside and, and maybe have some versatility there so you can open it up for guys like Ladd and Arian to maybe rotate there at slot? I think so. I mean, if I may be wrong, but I think that's what he did when George was out and Kiaris was kind of, or George wasn't exactly out, but when Kiaris was more of the guy early, yeah. up two years ago. Yeah, I mean, he's played some outside, but again, he's primarily been an inside guy. It's just interesting. I mean, with Kiaris, Ladd, Arian, that's a, I mean, that's a pretty jam-packed slot position. All those guys can make plays. They all deserve to play. And look, Chris, we know that we have this receiver rotation for better or worse, and it's probably going to continue, even though we have a new receivers coach, and Brian McKinnon coming back to Athens, which I'm really excited about. But I'm interested to see which one of those guys they might try to also work outside a little bit. Because, I mean, I, I believe that A.D. Mitchell is going to be our X receiver, our number one guy. That's my opinion there. But that Z spot is interesting. And you got Marcus Rosemey Jackson. You mentioned Arie Gilbert. and get to him in just a second. But it'd be interesting to see if any of those guys that primarily played slot for us, if they might get looks out there as well. And if they do, I think it's probably Kiaris. But let's move on here, Chris. Arie Gilbert, you mentioned the name. I'm going to put it, I'm just gonna put it to you, man. What do you expect? He's back working with the team now. He's going through all the winter workouts. What do you expect from Reed Gilbert this spring? I, I mean, this spring, I think you'll see him getting back into it. You know, he missed a whole year, so it's going to be a lot. But it seems like he's at least getting um, conditioned and everything like that. I think he'll still be a little rusty with the route running um, and the physicality of that part. But, I, I, I mean, he also just has that pure athletic ability that just pops whenever he's out there. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But the fact is, this guy has been away from football for essentially a year. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking not even with the team, like not in meetings, not with any, like just not doing anything football related. Just not doing it. I guess he's back doing workouts now. But for at least six, seven months there, he was doing absolutely nothing football related. So it's hard for me to expect him to come in, at least in the spring. Again, fall camp, different story. But it's hard for me to expect him to come in spring. Like, hey, here it's G-Day. It's what, April 15th, 16th, whatever day it is. And it's like, oh, Ari Gilbert's out there with the with the starting offense. Like, you don't expect that, right? No, no, not not even close. Yeah, I don't, and I, and I just, I just, and I know you don't. I'm just putting that out there because I know there's probably some listeners out there like, oh yeah, Gilbert's back. He's he's gonna be out there with the stars. I I would just pump the brakes a little bit on that on that guys. I think this spring, you're right, Curse is about him just kind of getting back in the flow of things, getting used to our offense, our quarterbacks, how we honestly how we practice. We practice a little bit with us in fall camp, but it's been a while. So it's really about him just making progress, making strides, getting back in shape. And then if he can do that and put himself in good position, I think he's one of those guys in fall camp, then yes, absolutely, he can start to make a move and earn more and more playing time. It starts this spring, there's no doubt, but I think it's just about positioning himself and like earning the trust of the coaches and honestly earning like, like just starting to trust himself, you know, just getting familiar with things again. But I just certainly would not expect him to be like, the guy going out there with number one offense and, and just murdering people all spring. We'll see. I mean, he's a super talented guy. I just I wouldn't expect that right now. Uh, all right, Kurt, real quick here before we move on to the tight ends. We have two early enrollee wide receivers that will be here taking part in spring practice. It'll be CJ Smith and Denyland Morissette. Which of those two guys, Kurt, if you had to project right now, do you think has a chance to create more, let's say like 80 Mitchell-esque buzz? I'm going to go with Den Island, and that's just because C.J. Smith is kind of – he may share the same last name and have the same attributes as Arian Smith, but they both kind of have the same problem of staying healthy. And yeah. I feel like he's missed a lot of high school the last little bit. So I would give it to Den Island for that reason. Yeah, 
Morissette's the more polished receiver right now coming out of high school. Uh, I would certainly give him that. And so I think that's probably a fair assessment of where they are right now. I do think CJ has a higher ceiling. Like you mentioned, Arian Smith, they both are burners. I don't know if he quite has Arian Smith level speed, but not too far off. But I've actually heard some really good things about CJ with winter workouts. I mean, we'll see how that translates on the field. It's a very different story doing workouts versus actually being out there on the field practicing with you know with, with guys that just won national championship. It's a different story. But I, I think right now, yeah, maybe denial. I think you're trying to hear some buzz about like CJ Smith can make plays, but it's just like the inconsistency. I think is what I would expect from him. But I'm excited that they're both here, and I think that they can uh, potentially be a part of the offense and our rotation. Maybe as early as this year. We'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, Curtis. And with Brock Bowers leading the team in every receiving category, obviously tight end is going to be a big part of the passing game. We know that. And look, I think we know what to expect from Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. Those guys are going to be forces for us. Now, Brock did have labrum surgery. You know, he was dealing with a shoulder injury all last year. and was just toughing it out. Like, what a dude. Um, but he's not going to practice this spring, I, at least from my understanding. So, I mean, look, we – we don't need him to practice. We, I, do I prefer him to be out there? Sure, but it's fine. We know Brock's Brock. Darnell, we know we're going to get from Darnell. I think the more interesting battle at tight end, Curtis, is for that third tight end spot to replace John Fitzpatrick. You know that we love two and three tight end sets. We, th- we ran a lot of like 13 personnel in the playoffs and to great effect, actually. So Fitzpatrick moves on, but we have a couple guys that could potentially become that third tight end. And it's actually an important position for us. Like we use a lot of tight ends. So you have Brett Seether, you have Ryan, Ryan Goaty, and Oscar Delp, early enrollee, tight end, top 100 prospect nationally. Of those three guys, Curtis, like who makes that move this spring to position himself for that third tight end spot going into fall camp? In my opinion, I think there's no question it's Oscar Delp. I mean, I think that's one guy you've got to watch just in general, um, everything he brings to the table. So that's who I'm going with. Despite the inexperience? Well, I mean, you saw it with Brock last year. I mean, coming away from spring practice, he was what everyone was already talking about. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it here, Curtis. You're exactly right. Look, I'm not saying that Scyther, Seether and Goaty aren't good players. They're good solid players, and they do have experience. They have the edge there. They know the playbook, and that's certainly going to help them. That's going to be a factor. There's no doubt about that. But Oscar Delp is very Brock Bowers-esque in terms of his athleticism and what he brings to the table at the tight end position. I I hate to even call him Brock Bowers S because I don't want to put those expectations on him because Brock is the, I mean, the best single season from a tight end in Georgia history. I mean, that's what that was. But I, I say Brock Bowers S to just describe you, for those of you who may not be familiar with Oscar and not watch his tape to kind of give you a feel for the type of tight end that he is. And he is Brock Bowers S. I mean, played wide receiver essentially, but he's a big dude. I, honestly, I think there's a world in which he's actually more athletic than Brock Bowers. Now, is he Brock Bowers? I'm certainly not saying that. We have no evidence to say that whatsoever. But I think like there's a world where he's more athletic. I mean, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. So I think you're right, Curtis. Um, I don't know if he will be that guy coming out of spring yet. Because it's it's still very early, and it's an, he's a freshman, it's early enrollee, all those things. But I think he's gonna. I I would project him to do enough to show enough ability to put himself in position come fall camp to be able to kind of lay claim to that job and to be that third tight end and be able to come out there honestly in, in the situation maybe in the second tight end if we're trying to you know if it's third long you're trying to go out there and you're you're trying to stretch the field a little bit. I think it gives you more in that regard than a guy like Darnell Washington. They're just different. They're different kind of guys. But I think he's going to help himself and put himself in position to really help us uh, as he co- goes through spring practice here over the next couple of weeks. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, let's move on here and let's give the big uglies up front some love here. Honestly, I know people don't talk about the offensive line that much. Like it's not the sexiest position to talk about, but I think this might be where the most intriguing position battles will be all spring. Now, Cedric Van Pran is back at center. Warman Clinton is back at right tackle. Curtis, how safe is it assumed that those two guys hold on to the center and right tackle jobs respectfully? respectively i think i think that's very fair yeah i mean like who would be the challenger for cedric van pran at center right now there's no challenge if anyone was going to get challenged more than anything i think it would be mcclendon right who are right, and who would that challenger be i mean you have mims and jones right. both but i mean jones is a likely left tackle but you definitely but you have to have you look at trust jones and mims those three are also going to push for either tackle position yeah, I think you're exactly right there. I think, I mean, I just don't know who the option to like unseat Cedric Van Pran would be. Clay Webb? I mean, Curtis, this guy's been here for 19 years and hasn't played a snap. I mean, yeah, I all you can hear is that he's struggling to keep weight on all the things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was word, I mean, I was talking to some people here in Athens. There was word at one point that he might actually like leave the team and like go join the military. And that hasn't happened yet. But like, he, as far as I know, he's still on the team. But, I mean, you can't expect that. I mean, he came in as a five-star guy. as would be an interior guy, center guard, but it just hasn't really worked out for him. I mean, it's Cedric Van Pran's job. He got a lot better as the season went on. I mean, he was good early in the season, but you could tell he was young, and he really, really improved the season went off. He was really good for us down the stretch. McClendon, I don't think he has as high of a ceiling as a guy like Amarius Mims, but he's been rock solid for us there at right tackle. I mean, it's going to take an, an outstanding effort to unseat him. And I just don't see that happening this spring. Again, everything's – up for grabs all over again when you get to, to fall camp. But this spring, I just I, I don't know if I see that happening. It's, yeah, you have a new offensive line coach, and that's the interesting thing here too, Coach. You have a new offensive line coach, but everybody has to re-earn their jobs, right? And re-earn your position, even, even Van Pran and McClendon. But I think that they will. I think they're going to be those guys. But everything else is wide open, Curtis. So new offensive line coach, all those starters left from last year with Schaefer, Salyer, Erickson, they're gone. Everything else is wide open. Let's start with left tackle, Kurt. Is Broderick Jones the heir apparent? Do we just stop there, or is there somebody else that could compete for that job? I have to say, I think he is the heir apparent. I mean, look at the national championship game when you know we made the change at tack guard, which you know 
took too long, but the fact is when the change was made, it was Jones that went in. And there was a noticeable difference, like, immediately. Oh, yeah. Noticeable yeah. difference. I mean, it will not in the play of the left tackle, but the offensive line. Yeah, just offensive line here, because, I mean, left tackle, I mean, Sawyer was always good there, but we got more push up front in the middle of the, uh, of the offensive line, which is what we were saying all year long, and it finally worked out. But, hey, who cares? We won a national title. I'm not complaining about last year at all. We won a national title. What about Marius Mims, Curtis? Is this a guy that could potentially slide over left tackle? Because because uh, if we're saying that McClendon's going to be the right tackle again, well, Marius Mims is so talented, almost too talented to keep off the field. So does he factor in to that left tackle conversation? I have a different idea for Mims, and I think it's just for next year. But the fact is, I think I think we may be looking at him at left guard. I mean, this guy, it's, again, it's hard to imagine he's not going to be on the field in some regard. Well, and like honestly, if he's not on Salier, the field, he's probably going to transfer. Like, like with Salier, um, we've got to get him on the field because, like you were just mentioning, we can't allow him to transfer because I think when Jones goes or both, because you'll lose both tackles, very likely could lose both tackles next year, you need him. You need the experience. And I'm just telling you guys, I was told that Kirby had to do some convincing to keep Mims on this team through spring practice because he's like, I, you know, I'm not, you know, Roger Jones, left tackle, and McClendon's coming back. Where do I fit in? I get it. You know, the transfer portal. So what happens in the, the era of the transfer portal? Kudos to Kirby for keeping him here for now. But, I mean, if, if we don't try to find him, look, I'm not saying just give the guy a job. He's got to earn it. But a guy as talented as that, like, you got to give him a chance. you got to find a way to get this guy on the field. I mean, if, if you think Broderick is better at left tackle, that's fine. I get that. He's probably a little bit more athletic, I guess. But you've got to give Mims an opportunity also to play inside. And I, I like your thinking there, Curtis. But let's move over to guard. Because I think this might be the most ferocious battle on the entire team, offense or defense. Now, we know that Tate Radledge was the starting right guard coming into last season. Within a couple of plays, the first game of the season, he's out. I do not believe he's going to be back for spring practice. Have you heard anything on that front, Curtis? I would not expect him to. I think he may be able to, but with that injury, it's so fickled. You just don't want to yeah. push it until you know it's 100%. And if you guys don't know what injury you're talking about, it's a Liz Frank injury, it's a foot injury, and those can be – they can linger. Let's just say that. And you got to be very, very careful with that. So I think there's a really good chance that we're, even if he is clear, which I don't know if he is right now, that you just wait until fall camp you know, just to be safe. Like just to be safe on that. Because you just don't want to risk that. But I don't think he's going to practice. Don't quote me on that. I haven't heard anything definitive there. But I don't think he's going to. But, Curl, I mean, he was that guy last year. I was hearing coming out of fall camp that he was our best offensive lineman on the entire team last year coming into the 2021 season. Obviously, again, he gets hurt week one and like the first couple plays of the game. But when he is back fully healthy, Curtis, assuming he's back to what he was last year, how safe is it to assume that right guard is once again going to be his job? Oh, I think it's very easy to assume that. I mean, even with like, the new offensive line coach to impress all over again. <laughs> I I still think so. I mean, the fact was last year, even when you have someone like Salier, um, he he was still being talked about as our best offensive line. So I think there's no question it's him. Yeah, and look, we didn't get to see much of him. I'm just telling you what I was told by people who watch practice and know these things. I was told he was the best offensive lineman on the team, and then he got hurt, and that's one of the things I was worried about. And you get, you had to move Warren Erickson over, and God bless the guy, did everything he possibly could. Great Bulldog. Appreciate it, man. We won the national title. So, again, not complaining. But it was a struggle at times to get moving up front. I don't think it would have been as much of an issue with a guy like Tate Radlich. And, look, we don't know if he will come back full strength. We don't know that. But I'm hopeful. And if we handle this right, look, we have one of the best – we have the, the best sports medicine guy in the country in Ron Corson. So I, I hope that we're going to be good. I have confidence that he's going to be good in his rehab. And I think that he will be that guy at right guard. It's, he's not the battle for it. There's no doubt there. But I think ultimately he will prevail. And uh, as we enter the 2022 season against Oregon in week one, 
coming up in September. I wish I could get here now, but it's not. I think he will be that guy. But Curtis, the left guard spot is wide open. Look, there's other guys that are going to compete with Tate at right guard too. So who are those other guys? At left guard, who's going to compete with Tate at right guard? Who are you looking at? Um, You have to look at, first off, Dylan Fairchild. Mm, Okay, first, he's on my list. I'm interested that you said first off. Why first off? Well, I think, well, the fact is, I think that he was just a little bit more of getting the experience, and I think he got that because he has a lot of these tools of, you know, that wrestling background that I think once he got into the weight program and things like that are going to make him like a sleeper, kind of like how Tate Ratledge just, you know, I mean, Tate Ratledge was a high recruit, but the fact was he really took off in year two. Dylan Fairchild and Austin Blasky both have wrestling background. <clears throat> Glad you mentioned that, Curtis, because I think that's really important. And why do, why does that matter? Well, number one, toughness, but really more than that, it's footwork, right? Athleticism. Yeah. And that's what's killed. Uh, like you looked at, uh, I mean, um, Warren Erickson he was weak, yes, but his biggest problem was he had terrible footwork. And Justin Schaefer couldn't stand it. He would overextend himself and fall on his face so many freaking times. It's important. With offensive linemen, footwork is so, so critical. It absolutely is. Footwork, hand placement, all that stuff. And like being able to like be uh, – uh, here's the thing with wrestling. Being good with your hands, Curse, hand-to-hand combat, like that's what the offensive line is, especially on the interior like that. And as a wrestler, there is a fair amount of that. I, there's, and it doesn't always work out this way, but it just oftentimes it translates from the wrestling mat to the offensive line. So I, I'm glad you brought those guys up, and I actually heard good things about both those guys last year as they as they develop again new offensive line coach, which is honestly an opportunity. So I'm very excited to see what those guys can do this spring. Um, a couple other names that I heard some good things about. I mean, honestly, I heard a lot of good things about some of these back bombs of mine last year. Uh, but Devin Wilkes, a guy I heard a lot about. Jared Wilson as well, even a little bit about Cameron Kinney. Do you see either the, any of those three guys making a move this spring? Jared Wilson was the next person I was going to mention. Yes. And what is it about Wilson that? Get you a little excited. I mean, you just got to look at the size, the 6'3", 330. He's a massive dude. And that's what I we mean, did not have him, last year. Him and um, Micah Morris are the two that I think can make some moves, too. Yeah, Micah that's Morris is another fringe, former fringe one top 100 guy. Yeah, Micah Morris is one I have on my list here, too. And again, with offensive line, guys, especially, especially since we don't really rotate on, along our offensive line, we just don't really have much of a sample size on any of these guys. So, again, it's kind of going back to what we're talking about with quarterbacks. We're relying on a lot of their prep experience. We saw them do in high school and, and that kind of thing, which it can guide you to a degree, but it can also mislead you because these guys grow, they develop, they get better. And we just only get to see practice. And I kind of rely on what I hear from people that do get to see practice. And I only get a little bit of that here and there. don't get much of it. But um, I, when I do, I listen, I put my ears out and I listen and I've heard good, good things about, I heard a lot about Dylan Fairchild last year. Chris. I, I was, I was going to mention him. I thought I like, might take you by surprise there, but, you uh, you got you got to it for, first before me. I also heard a lot about Jerry Wilson as well. I mean, all these guys I heard a little bit about, but one name, Curtis, I don't know if we mentioned yet. Among all these guys, who has more experience? It'd be Xavier Truss. He's back. He's a guy I thought might transfer out. He did not. He's here at least for the spring. Is this the spring that Xavier Truss makes a move, Curtis? Um, it very well could be. I think he'll get a shot above most people. I mean, you would think so, yes, but that's in like the Matt Luke returning world. I think when you have a new offensive line coach coming in, I'm sure there's other coaches that were still here and say, hey, here's who, here's who we liked before, but you have a whole new set of eyes on things, and he might be looking for something different and just views it differently. So it's very intriguing here how this is going to play out. I, I do Honestly, I think it's wide open. This is probably the position I'm watching more close than any other position on the team because it's just so wide open, especially 
with Tate Ratledge not, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, not going to be able to practice this spring. So it be very, very interesting here. You mentioned Marius Mims. I think he's going to get a long look at guard as well. I think he should. I think we'll get a look at guard and tackle, and we'll see how it plays out. But I think this is where you're going to see a, a very, very intense battle this spring, and obviously going into fall camp, I don't think it's going to be decided this spring, but it'll be interesting to see who goes out there first on G-Day, because right now, I don't know. I, I honestly just don't know. So I'm going to be watching this very, very closely. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. And finally, Curtis, we're talking about the big uglies up front. You know they are paving the way for our running backs, so let's get to those guys carrying the rock. I think we know that Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton will be the top two backs leaving spring practice. The 2022, early, uh, uh, those signees are not early enrollees. Branson Robinson, Paul, not early enrollees. They're not here on campus. and not going to be going through spring drills, so they're not going to factor in right now. We'll get to them later on as we get closer to, to fall camp, but they're, they're not a factor right now. I think there's two questions at running back, Curtis. Number one, which of those two backs, Kenny McIntosh or Kendall Milton, are going to leave spring practice as RB1? Like, Who's going to take the first carry on G-Day? Uh, I'm going to go Kenny McIntosh, and I go with just because of his versatility. I, I know we're just trying to focus on spring right now, but let's kind of extrapolate this out a little bit. So I, I think I'm probably with you there right now. Do you think that's going to be the case going through the 2022 season? I think it will be. I mean, you saw a lot of the time Zeus was the starter per se, but Cook always at the end of the game, you're like, wow, he had the more impactful plays. Yeah, I um, – oh, Curtis, all right, dude. So um, I'm sorry, man. I know I, I just – it's like an idiot there. Have you seen the news, dude? No. Uh, we have – I think we might have a new head basketball coach. Someone just – Oh, yeah, DM'd. just – yeah. Georgia Just will hire Florida's Mike White as its <clears throat> next head basketball coach. Yep. Whoa. Okay. Interesting. All right. So breaking news here on the Glory UJ podcast as of like six minutes ago is what I'm seeing here. Uh, well, Kurt, I know you don't really have time to cover that on the show. Um, maybe we'll give early thoughts here in just a second. But I will have to do a whole other episode on that. Anyway, back to spring practice. Okay. Uh, now I've lost my train of thought. We're talking about running backs, right? Yeah. Like Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton. What were you saying, dude? Sorry, the Mike White. Thing I'm, I'm going to go with Kenny McIntosh. Um, Milton may even be a starter like Zeus was, but it always felt like the tension at the end of every game was on Cook and what he did. Yeah, I, I, I think obviously Todd Munkin likes that versatility. And here's, here's the – I mean, talk about spring practice. I mean, again, nothing's going to be decided during spring practice. So, you know, I keep saying the same thing over and over again. It's just true. But Kendall Milton was hurt most of last year. I mean, at least the back half of the year, right? And so, and Kenny was injured at times too, but not as much. And he just made more of an impact late last year. So I think he carries that momentum over and is going to be that guy to open spring practice. Now he is more versatile. Maybe you use him in a different way. I don't know, but I think coming into G day, I expect Kenny McIntosh to be that number one 
running back. But Curtis, is it, I mean, it's, it's pretty much going to be the same thing as it was last year with Zeus and Cook, right? It's going to be 1A, 1B. Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, unless Branson or some of these other guys could just come in and steal the show, but I, I definitely expect that, yes. Yeah, I mean, if you feel like last year, I mean, what, Zamir had 160 carries, Cook had 113, right? And then Cook was obviously more of a third-down guy, but they they split the carries pretty much evenly, split, up, split playing time pretty much evenly, and I fully expect that to be the same thing this year. I think Kenny McIntosh is going to be the 22, 2022 version of James Cook, and Kendall Milton's going to be the 2022 version of Zamir White. I think that's what you're going to see. I think it's going to be split very similarly. You have Del McGee coming back as running back coach, not a new coach here, sees things differently. I think that's what it's going to be. So I think the next question here, Curtis, is how much of a move does Dejon Edwards make as the third running back? E, um, I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, but like a big move because I think as good as he is, I think someone like Branson could easily come and steal it. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, once Branson Robinson gets here, once Paul gets here, I think those guys are going to be more in contention for that number three job. But they're not here right now. So if we're just looking at spring practice, it's really those – it's McIntosh, I mean, Milton, and – I'm not going to say a huge jump because how many times before you go back to Boo Malcolm or Kenny Malcolm, all these people back in the day, and then like, oh, all of a sudden the other people step foot. I mean, Kenny Malcolm was the starter for that game, and then Todd Gurley – goes off and then it was Todd Todd right, Gurley right. Keith Marshall show for the rest of the year. Like that is yeah, you always right. have those in spring practice. Yeah, that's fair. Look, I mean I, I think Edwards is a good back. I mean he's better than that. Don't get me wrong, but the fact yeah. is like he's just not as good as some of these other guys. He's not on that level. He's not on Kenny Mack level or Kendall Milton level. I would agree with that. And I don't think he's on a Branson Robinson level. I mean, we haven't seen Branson yet, but based on what I've seen from him in his high school tape, I think it's a different level of guy. But Dajan is a very steady player. And I, again, I, I will say when he's got opportunities, he has made plays. Yes, it's in garbage time, but he has made the most of every opportunity he's gotten. I think he's a guy that can make plays. I think he has some versatility in his game as well. I think he can be a, a weapon on the backfield in the receiving game as well. And I do think he's going to be a guy that will get meaningful carries this year. Now, does that mean a ton of them? No, I, I'm not going to say a ton, but I think he will get carries in meaningful situations, which he has not done at this point in his career. And I think he starts to make that move and, and start to earn those opportunities this spring. I, I, I will say that about Dage. I think he's a good solid player. All right, Curtis. Uh, so I guess that wraps up our offense primer here for spring practice. Again, I know like I'm like stuttering all over myself because I'm just thrown for a loop here. I'm trying to like read through all this stuff on social media about Mike White hire Curtis. Real quick here, man. I know you got to get out of here. Early thoughts on hiring Florida's Mike White? You know, I'm a I'm a fan of it. You know, he's not the like people. I think people got a little bit too unrealistic with the Scott Drew news, but the fact is, I think he's a solid hire. Um, you know, we weren't going to steal some blue blood guy. And the fact that we're as far down as our program is, we need someone with some consistency, and I think that's what Mike White brings is consistency. Um, you know. I didn't give much on it this past week, but I've always been of the favor. I was not a fan of Jonas Hayes becoming the next coach, and that was because I wanted someone with experience, and Mike White has that consistent experience where Jonas, you know, people make the argument, well, Kirby was never a head coach. Well, Kirby coached for 10-plus years with the, probably the best coach in college football history, and Jonas Hayes does not have that on his resume. So I wanted someone with experience, and I think we got that with Mike White. Yeah, I, I prefer this White significantly over Jonas Hayes. I know some piss people off because he's a George guy, and I love Jonas too, man, but he just – is not, he doesn't have the resume for this job right now. I mean, he might – that whole staff may get fired because Xavier's likely going to miss out after Yeah, exa- exactly. Um, so you're going to hire an assistant coach of a program that ju- of a staff that just got fired potentially? Yeah, I, I totally agree there. Mike, so here's the thing, Curtis. 
Florida fans were pissed off at Mike White this year. They're probably not going to make the tournament. They want they, A lot of them want him gone. A lot of the Florida fans are probably celebrating this right now and probably laughing at us. But the fact is, yes, they were what 19-13 this year. was a, a little bit of a down year. But they didn't have a great roster this year. Uh, they really just did not. But he's made the NCAA tournament, let's see, four of his – Okay, obviously throughout 2020 because they didn't have a tournament that year. But in four of six seasons at Florida, he made the NCAA tournament. All right, that's twice as much as our last two coaches combined made it in what 13 years. So I mean, look, and he won and won games actually. He won at least one game in every single NCAA tournament that he's been in. I think Mike White's a really good coach. Honestly, when we uh, when he was hired by Florida, I wanted us to hire him. Because so I, I watched Louisiana Tech, which is where he was before Florida, come in here to Athens during the NIT and beat us. And I was like, this team is really good. And I like this coach. So I had my eyes on him. And so when Florida hired him, I was like, ah, oh, damn, man, I wanted that guy eventually when we fired Mark Fox. And Florida scooped him up. And he's been largely good for them. This year was a down year, but he's been largely good for them. It's just unquestionably an upgrade over our last couple of hires, right? Oh, yeah, no question. Unquestionably. So I need to digest this, guys. Curtis will digest this. We'll try to get back on here. I'll definitely we'll get back here on here later this week and, and, break, and break this down even more. But just some early thoughts there for you. But all right, guys, that officially does it for us today here on the Glory UJ podcast. As I just said a second ago, we'll be back. Hopefully tomorrow, we'll see. We see how work it out with our schedules. Hopefully we'll be able to jump on here tomorrow and break down the Mike White hire. I like it. On the surface, I like it. I got to digest this a little bit more, but I like it. And we'll give you some more detailed thoughts. And again, hopefully tomorrow, but the very least, early next week. And I guess we're going to have to push back our final spring practice primer episode one more day. I guess we'll push that back probably to Thursday or so. And then we'll wrap up the defense side of the ball and the position battles in the front seven. Yeah, I know, guys. It's hard to call it a primer when spring practice will have already started by that point. But, you know, basketball kind of got in the way. But it's close enough. There's not much that goes down in the first couple days of practice anyway. So we'll cover that for you guys later on this week as well. A couple of quick shout outs here before we get out of here. Big shout out to Miguel Perez Pena, freshman from Spain on the men's tennis team, clinched the match against South Carolina, the home match against South Carolina earlier today. That's what I was doing prior to hopping on here today. We lost to Florida. They were number four. We're number eight. We lost to them on Friday, but it, it like it sucked, man. Like we started playing outside. It was competitive doubles point. We ended up losing the doubles point. We start singles play, then it starts to ramp to move indoors. Everything got delayed and it just got pushed back and it just messed up everybody's rhythm. Florida ends up winning that match. They're really good. They're the defending national champions. I hate to say that, but they're really good. We gave it a good run, but they're awesome. Uh, South Carolina, another top ten matchup this weekend today. They're number seven. We're number eight. Huge match, huge match, and we gutted it out. We win 4-3, came down to the final match on court six. Miguel Perez Payne, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup as a true freshman on court six, but he has a ton of potential. Every time I watch this guy play, I'm like, oh, this dude's going to be really good once he figures it out. And today, man, he figured it out, won the first set, ended up winning a tiebreak in the second set. Got to give Blake Crowder a uh, big shout-out as well on court five. If you guys don't know how it works, our indoor courts, we only have four indoor courts. It's a, it's a whole thing. You've probably heard me talk about it on here before. It's annoying. We're getting that fixed. But we only have four matches going at one time, and you have six singles matches. So guys who play courts five and court six have to wait until two matches get done before they can jump on the courts. So it, and when you're just indoors, the matches just take forever. It was like a four-plus-hour match today. Uh, which is just what happens when it's indoors. Okay, still love it. Uh, but Blake came up huge, which is what Blake does. You need a clutch point. You need a, a clinch. 
Blake Croyder is your man. He's been doing it forever, and um, that was huge. It was absolutely huge for us. And we lost the doubles point, guys. Like, we don't have a ton of margin for error in singles right now. When you lose a doubles point, that means you have to win four out of six singles matches. And that's an uphill battle for us against anybody, especially a top 10 opponent. So for us to lose the doubles point, we should have won that. We were up 5-1 on court two, and then we got broken two straight games, ended up losing on court on court two and lost the doubles point because of that. But our guys are not hanging their heads. I will say that about this crew. They're not always perfect. But ever since this crew, I mean, we have a bunch of seniors on this team now. They've been here for a long time. And they've kind of, I don't say rebuilt the program. That's too strong a word. But they've gotten this program back on steadier footing after a couple of shaky years there, a couple of years ago. One thing to say about this group is that they have fought and fought and fought from day one. These guys give everything they have. Manny and Jamie, our, our coaches, love these guys. Manny's been very open about that from like when they were freshmen. And it's very easy to see why. They love them. I love them. I love watching these guys play. It was really exciting to see them be able to grit this one out at home. Big time win there. Top 10 win. So now we go to 3-1 and one in the SEC. Big win. And let's not forget about the ladies. The women keep on rolling with another dominant weekend, a road weekend this time. We took down number 15 Florida in Gainesville 4-1 on Friday and just down South Carolina 4-1 in Columbia here earlier today. So the girls are off to a fantastic start now 4-0 in conference play. What else is new? This women's tennis program has been on fire for years now. and It's just a matter of time until they add to that trophy case and win a nas another national title. And that year might be this year. We got some young players that like had to continue to grow, like Mel Riasco on court two. She's awesome, but she's got to grow a little bit. Leah Moss, still young on court one and kind of taking over for Katarina Jokic, but she's super, super talented. But it's a really fun team to watch. And I think this team has as high of a ceiling, if you look at the depth of this team, than maybe any team that we've had in recent years. We'll see. We've got to get there. We're not quite there yet. But even though we're not there yet, we are still dominating opponents. And that's really, really good news here to open up SEC play. Baseball team got back on track, beat Lipscomb Friday. And then we didn't play Saturday because it was the wind was about 20, 25 miles an hour here on Saturday. It literally almost blew me in the street a couple different times while I was running on Saturday. That was fun. But uh, so we didn't play Saturday. And we have a doubleheader today. We won the first game. The second game, I think, is just now getting started. So hopefully we can pull off the sweep there heading into SEC play next week. Got back on track. Had a rough last week, losing two out of three to Tech, which, God, that sucks. But it is what it is. And we dropped one to Georgia Southern earlier in the week as well. So uh, we're fine. We're still a very strong baseball team. Offense hit a little bit of a bump in the road here. I think we have the potential to be a much better offensive team than we have in years past. We've shown that at times so far this year. Pitching is, I'm concerned about our number three starter right now. We've had some injuries there. John Cannon got back on track with 11 strike. I think a career high 11 strikeout performance on Friday. Liam Sullivan was fantastic earlier today in a win over Lipscomb. And we'll see uh, what Garrett Brown's got going on today as our third starter. Hasn't been great for us on Sundays. Although we've won most of these games, but it's been shaky from a pitching standpoint. So if we can get that straightened out, but we'll see. I still think this Georgia baseball team has all the makings of being an NCAA tournament team and getting back into the postseason. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. So I know I said we were out of here about five minutes ago, but now we are officially out of here. So that's it, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs. <laughs>